John chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Thank you, uh, worship leaders, for leading us in those uh, edifying songs that we sang today. You know, one of the hallmarks, I think, of our church as well is, is the songs that we sing here are, frankly, they're little sermons in and of themselves, aren't they? The words, the lyrics are profound, and uh, they cause worship. It's great stuff. I just appreciate the, uh, the gifts that God has given to different of his saints throughout the history of the church, and, and some in, in writing lyrics to music, and writing the music that the saints can sing, and be edified, um, think, singing those words calls great joy and, and great worship. And so I appreciate the, the worship team as they lead us in the singing. Well, today we want to consider a uniquely Christian teaching. That is, of abiding in Christ. Our text from John Chapter 15 is is specifically verse 4, and we have read verses 1 through 11 for context. Verse 4 says, Our Lord is saying, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I want to ask the question, what is meant by abiding in Christ? What is it to abide in Christ? Like most biblical teaching, abiding has two aspects, positional and practical. That is, theological truth and experiential demonstration. We must have both, knowing and doing. Without both, there might be confusion, and frustration, and defeat, and failure, and sometimes outright heresy. So it's important for us to grasp the whole um, theological meaning of these terms. And so from our text, I want to consider, first of all, we want to define abide and look at the descriptive analogy that our Lord Jesus uses. Secondly, to explain the effects of abiding. Thirdly, to describe the fatal consequences of not abiding. And fourth, to consider the blessed privileges of those who do abide. They want us to ask ourselves the question, am I abiding? Are you abiding in Christ today? Well, in context, these words from Jesus are spoken on the night before his death. He is speaking with his disciples 
It includes one of the great I am statements of Jesus. Prior to this, in the Gospel of John, he called himself the bread of life, the light of the world, the door of the sheep, the good shepherd, the resurrection and the life, and the way, the truth, and the life. Now he says, I am the vine. And he adds, my father is the vine dresser. For our purposes today, we will not dig into the extended meaning of the metaphor of the vine, although it is a rather important matter. But we're pressed for time, so we'll be narrowing our consideration to the notion of abiding in Christ who calls himself the true vine. Now, Jesus and his disciples had just enjoyed the Passover meal, and he had washed their feet. Now, they may have left the upper room, or they may still be lingering there, talking among themselves. But Judas, his betrayer, had already been dismissed. And in chapter 14, we read the account of Jesus seeking to comfort his disciples. He knew he would die the next day. He knew that Judas would betray him. And he was encouraging his disciples to abide in him in this remarkable hour and beyond. So the word abide is a favorite of the Apostle John. He uses it at least 55 times in his writing, 10 times in our text. This is a major concept for John. The word means to dwell, to lodge, to adhere, and especially to remain, to maintain unbroken fellowship with. It includes the idea of attachment to something that always puts forth an influence of permanent of position, occupying a place as one's dwelling place, holding and maintaining unbroken communion and fellowship with another. Therefore, when our Lord says, abide in me, he is saying, attach to me. Dwell with me, remain with me, so that I constantly, unceasingly have an influence upon you. To get the thought across, he uses the analogy of the vine and the branches. Verse 1, he says, I am the true vine. Verse 5, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. We can see the picture. Just as branches need to be dynamically attached to the vine for any sustenance, so the Christian must be attached to Christ. If the branch is detached from the vine, it dies. Now, any true Christian will hear this and immediately agree, I need to be attached to Christ. I need and desire to abide in Christ. But in the simplicity of the analogy, don't lose sight of the nature of our word abide. It is no superficial association, nor is it an occasional attachment, willy-nilly, not even an inconsistent attachment now and then, like on Sundays only, or in time of special needs or trials. It means to attach, dwell, and remain at all times, in all circumstances. You see, Christ, being the vine, is the absolutely essential source of life for the Christian. Detach the branch from the vine, cut off the source of life, the branch dies. Okay, But the passage requires us to ask the question, who are the branches? Well, in context, we can reasonably conclude that the branches who bear fruit are the 11 true disciples. 
By extension, we can say that they also include any other true disciples. Also, the branches who do not bear fruit refer to Judas and any others who prove not to be true disciples. We will come back to this point. But for now, notice what it does not say. It does not say, abide with me, does it? It says, abide in me. You see, this little prepositional distinction points out a very profound difference. It is the difference between being among the saints and being one of the saints. The concept of being in Christ is one of Paul's favorite expressions. He uses it 86 times in his epistles. Romans 6.11 is particularly helpful in giving us insight as to what is meant. Here Paul says, So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and to alive to God in Christ Jesus. Studying the context of that verse, we see that Paul is telling the Roman Christians to consider themselves alive to God because of the impartation of righteousness through the finished work of Christ on the cross and his resurrection from the grave resulting in their regeneration, rebirth. So we are reminded of 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. To be in Christ is to be justified by grace through faith in the redemptive work of Christ on one's behalf. So we can safely say that those branches who are in Christ are his true disciples and they bear fruit. But those branches who are merely with Christ are not his true disciples and they do not bear fruit. They may look like true disciples. They may even for a time act like true disciples but they are not. They are not dynamically attached to Jesus. They are not in Christ. We will return to this in a bit. So let us then look at the effects of this abiding. Verses 4 and 5. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If fruit bearing or fruit bearing and abiding in Christ are dynamically connected. Matthew Henry said, It is the great concern of all Christ's disciples constantly to keep up a dependence upon Christ in communion with him, habitually to adhere to him, and actually to derive supplies from him. You see, abiding in Christ is absolutely necessary to our being fruitful. Fruitfulness is assumed in the believer. The true Christian will bear good fruit. Fruit bearing is not a bonus, not an extra, not an icing on the cake. It is indispensable, not an option. Look at verse 16 from the same chapter. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. And that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Fruit bearing is assumed. It is part and parcel of being chosen by Christ. Psalm 1, 1 1-3. 
says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its life leaf does not wither. In all he does, he prospers. Matthew 7 Verses 17 and 20, our Lord said, Every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruit. Romans six twenty to 22, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting? at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed. For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. So fruitfulness is a defining characteristic of a true believer. So what is the fruit that we should be bearing? Well, we just read Romans 6.22, which calls it fruit that leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. What is this fruit that leads to sanctification? Well, consider a few examples briefly. This is its own study, and it would be a good word study for us all to do. Hebrews 13.15. Through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. The fruit of praising God continually, the spirit of praise. Philippians 4, 17. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. That is the fruit of contributing to those in need, especially spiritual need. Colossians 1.10 So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. That is the fruit of doing good works. Galatians 5.22 and 23 but the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness self-control against such there is no law or that is the fruit of being like jesus Of course, there are other passages regarding fruit-bearing, but notice the essence of biblical fruit-bearing. Notice that it is spiritual in essence. That is, its value is spiritual. It is that spiritual dynamic that actually identifies it as bearing fruit. The unseen spiritual realities or what we are talking about here. But notice also that bearing fruit is active and evident, not passive and private. Let me just repeat that, because I think that's a misconception that too many people latch on to and find comfort in their misconception. Notice also that bearing fruit is active, and evident, not passive and private. There are just some fruits we are to bear. But here is the point we need to grasp now, and this is very important. Unless you are abiding in Christ, you cannot bear good fruit. That's what we're told in verses 4 and 5 of our text. 
Just as separated from the merit of Christ, we can do nothing toward our justification. So also separated from the spirit of Christ, we can do nothing toward our sanctification. You see, we depend upon Christ not only as the vine upon the trellis for support, but as the branch upon the root for life. Fruitfulness is based upon abiding, not doing. Now, a moment ago, I said and emphasized, bearing fruit is active and evident. Now I say fruitfulness is based upon abiding, not doing. Is this double talk? No, okay, thank you. (laughs) Not at all. I was waiting for somebody to do this. No, not at all. What we accomplish in fruit bearing is based upon where we abide. And I say again that unless you are abiding in Christ, you cannot bear good fruit. If you are not abiding in Christ, your prayers are fruitless. You can pray with great eloquence. People may marvel at the rhetorical structure of your prayers but they are fruitless. Remember our definition of fruitfulness, fruit that leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Your good works are fruitless. You can be pleasant, charming, and benevolent. You may make people feel good or happy or comfortable. Your good works may appear to be fruitful and In a temporal sense, they likely are. But in the sense we are considering here, in the sense that ultimately matters, they are fruitless. Your gifts are fruitless. You can be clever, talented, and skilled. You may be the best at whatever you do, but in the end, they do not bear the fruit Jesus is talking about the only fruit that ultimately matters. During our adult Sunday school hour, Brother Mark developed this concept as far as giftedness in the church, and he eloquently developed that well. Well, how can this be? How can we say that outside of abiding in Christ, all of our prayers and good works and gifts are fruitless? It almost sounds like we are saying that all of our righteousness is as filthy rags. Well, yes. And so did Isaiah, the prophet of God. For you see, in the end, it is not really about us and what we do, is it? We must let God define what is fruitful and what is not. It is about what God will accept and bless, and use. In the end, we must be like Christ. And in order to be like Christ, we must abide in Christ. So that when the Father looks at us, he sees the Lord Jesus Christ and his righteousness. Imagine, if you will, the Father looking down upon his disciples from heaven. It is as if Christ is a large umbrella covering us. We are under the umbrella of his righteousness. When the Father looks down on us, he sees the Son of God, and we are covered by the righteousness of the Son. He sees us righteous. We are in Christ. There's a sense in which we lose our sinful identity. I remember many years ago when I was in the Air Force. And I vividly remember one experience I had, one picture where we had a base military parade. And everyone on base dressed up in their dress blues and got in parade and were marching. And as we were marching along, I remember looking out just in front of me, way, way far, and across a bridge, which was a walkway over a highway, and then down the other side. I wasn't allowed to turn my head, but 
I could see out of the corner of my eye. And everybody was marching along, and we all looked exactly alike. We all looked like quintessential airmen. I don't think our mothers could have even told us apart. When the Father looks down on us, He sees the Son of God, and we are covered by His righteousness, by the righteousness of the Son. He sees the righteous Lord Jesus Christ, our righteousness. We are in Christ. 2 Corinthians 6.21 tells us that Christ, who knew no sin, was made to be sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Do you desire to be a man or a woman of solid Christian dignity and integrity? Do you want to be a godly father or mother, son or daughter, brother or sister? Do you want to be a righteous employee, student, friend? You can't do it unless you are abiding in Christ. Your good works aren't actually good outside of Christ. For apart from me, he says in verse 5, you can do nothing. There may be the appearance of good works to the carnal eye, but the one who sees, knows, and interprets all truth tells us, apart from me, you can do nothing. Remember, we are talking about fruit that leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Listen to the words of Spurgeon. Without Jesus, you can talk any any quantity, but without him, you can do nothing. The most eloquent discourse without him will be all a bottle of smoke. You shall lay your plans and arrange your machinery and start your schemes. But without the Lord, you will do nothing. Immeasurable cloud land of proposals and not a spot of solid doing large enough for a dove's foot to rest on. Such shall be the end of all. Dear friend, abide in Christ today. But there's one more aspect of this fruit bearing I want to mention, and this is a hard one for us. In order to bear good fruit by abiding in Christ, we must die to self. Hear this. We must die to self. In doing this, we must destroy the idolatry of our hearts which steal our affections and the worship that is due to Christ only. We must live lives of service to Christ, having died to self and destroyed our idols. That is abiding in Christ. This abiding in Christ is thorough. It is absolute. Remember our definition of the terms. Listen to these amazing words from our Lord found in John 12, 24 to 26. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. And so I ask you, are you abiding in Christ today? But there's more here, for you see, fruit bearing is essential. You must Abide in Christ and be fruitful. This is not merely a lifestyle option. There are profound consequences for not abiding in Christ. Look again at verse 2. Every 
branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Look at verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Who are these branches that are discarded? Some might wonder if this is implying that it is impossible to lose one's salvation. Some might conclude that if we don't bear fruit, it is possible to lose our salvation. Now that clearly would contradict our Lord's teaching about his elect. In John 10, 28, he said, I give them eternal life. They will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. How many times did our Lord tell the Father that he would deliver safely all that the Father had given to him? We understand here at Pacific Hope Church the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. John MacArthur explains it this way. Jesus was not talking about a true believer who stops bearing fruit and loses his salvation. Rather, He was talking about a Judas-type believer who is superficially attached to the vine but never receives spiritual nourishment from it. Judas had a superficial relationship with Jesus, but he willingly walked away from that relationship and into the judicial condemnation of God. It seems natural that the allegory of the vine and the branches would come out of Christ's intimate talk with the 11 disciples who believed in him. The context would indicate these are not out-and-out heathens and pagans. These are not those who are openly and aggressively hostile to the faith. These branches are hypocrites and apostates. Those who at some time, in some way, identified themselves with Christ as branches, but don't remain, don't abide, and are therefore unfruitful. Remember, Judas is no longer present, but in chapter 13, we saw that he had been present, and our Lord recognized him, one of the twelve, who would be the betrayer. Luke 8.14 says, And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. In 1 John 2, verses 19 and 24, we read, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they all are not of us. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. What we are talking about is called apostasy. Apostasy is real. There is real danger in discovering that one is not abiding in Christ. Consider 2 Peter 2, 20-22. After they had escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, They are again entangled in them and overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. There are other passages, such as Colossians 1, 21 to 23, or Hebrews 3, 6 and 14, or 4, 14. 
and 10, 38 and 39. Yes, we believe in the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. Those who have been saved by the grace of God will be kept by the grace of God, but only perseverance of the true saints. Hypocrisy and apostasy are very real. The only or the danger is not in losing one's salvation. The danger is one never having salvation in the first place. How does this apostasy happen? By not abiding in Christ. Abiding somewhere else. Our Lord said, I am the true vine. That implies that there are false vines. And Satan is a subtle deceiver, the father of lies. What are these false vines? Anything to which we look for hope and fulfillment above our Lord. What in the world can you not live without? That is where you abide. What would you not sacrifice in order to follow Jesus? That is where you abide. What do you love more than anything else? What fills your thoughts, thrills your heart, quickens your fancy? To what do you attach yourself for your well-being? Is it a job or money? Is it possessions? Maybe it is relationships or a particular relationship like a spouse or a child. Maybe it is your education, your social standing, your self-image. That is where you abide. That is your vine to which you are attached. But aside from Christ, they are all false vines. And in the end, they are fruitless. Just as you cannot serve two masters, you cannot abide in the true vine and also abide in a false vine. The meaning of the term won't allow it. What becomes of those branches? Well, verse 6 tells us. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. They are thrown away as a branch. You see, fruitless branches are called suckers. They encumber the tree. They encumber the church. They bear no fruit. They are withered, just as any branch that is broken from the vine. Matthew Henry said, Those that abide not in Christ, though they may flourish a while in plausible, at least possible profession, yet in a little time wither, and come to nothing. Their parts and gifts wither, their zeal and devotion wither, their credit and reputation wither, their hopes and comforts wither. We know some of them, don't we? For a time, they seem to bear good fruit as fruitful branches, seemed sincere, genuine, zealous for God. But after a time, for whatever apparent reason, Maybe trials, maybe hardships, maybe they just drifted or found something better to focus on, but they just seemed to wither. And finally, although they may continue to hang around the people of God, they really bear no fruit. They've just kind of withered. The branch is broken from the vine. We are told that men gather them. Satan's agents and emissaries pick them up and make easy prey of them. They fall in with sinners. They listen to and adopt worldly, carnal ideas, opinions, lifestyles. And they are cast into fire. They are children of hell. Someone has said fire is the fittest place for withered branches where they are good for nothing else. A withered branch 
makes good kindling, but not much else. And we're told they're burned. This is added as emphasis. They are not only gathered up and cast into the fire, but they are burned. Heed the warning regarding apostasy. Charles Bridges said, How fearful the thought of being a branch. Excuse me. How fearful the thought of being a branch in the true vine only by profession to be taken away at length, cast forth as a branch, withered, gathered, cast into the fire, burned. But our text doesn't end there, and we might, we might anticipate that our text would not end there because you understand what our Lord was doing with his disciples here. He was getting them ready for his crucifixion. He was getting them ready for what was about to come. And actually, he was seeking to encourage them. That's not even the bulk of the passage. We find the blessed privileges which those who do abide in Christ have in verses 7 through 11. Let's look at them again. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have always kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. First of all, we'll be maintained by the word of God. In verse 7, my words abide in you as living principle to regulate affection and life. It is in the word of God that we receive and embrace him. And so where the word of Christ dwells richly, there Christ dwells. If the word of God be our constant guide and monitor, if it be at home in us, then we abide in Christ and he in us. What does this entail? Look at verse 10. If you keep my commandments. Previously, as recorded in chapter 14, our Lord had said in verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Verse 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. Verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. We will also be monitored by prayer, according to verse 7. Those that abide in Christ as their hearts delight shall have through Christ their hearts desire. If we abide in Christ, we shall lack nothing that is good for us. John 14 Verses 13 and 14. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. This is in accordance with the will of God. But also, verse 8 tells us, we will glorify the Father. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Listen to 1 Peter 2, 12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day 
of visitation. Matthew 5.16 says, Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Fruit-bearing glorifies the Father. But also we will continue in Christ's love. Again, verses 9 and 10. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. We must abide. And by the way, the same word there, to continue, to remain. We must abide in his love. Jude 21 says, Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And then it culminates in fullness of joy. Verse 11, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Abiding in Christ, bearing fruit, answered prayer, and continuing in Christ's love and obeying him as true disciples points to one final climactic blessing, full joy. Sin ruins our joy, doesn't it? Yeah, we know that. Sin ruins our joy. Remember David's cry after his confession of sin, restore Unto me the joy of thy salvation. Abiding in Christ brings the fullness of joy. Listen to the words of the hymn writer Augustus Toplady. Jesus, immutably the same, thou true and living vine, around thy all supporting stem, my feeble arms. I'd twine. I can do nothing without thee. My strength is wholly thine. Withered and barren should I be if severed from the vine. Quickened by thee and kept alive, I'd flourish and bear fruit. My life I'd from thy sap derive, my vigor from thy root. Each moment watered by thy care and fenced with power divine, fruit to eternal life would bear the feeblest branch of thine. Finally, it is the context of our eternal security. I love an illustration by Spurgeon. This particular one is dated in time harkens back to the time when Spurgeon lived and would have been the same here in the United States when the flag of the United States and the Union Jack of the United Kingdom was considered to be honorable and the populace honored the flag. And so he gives this wonderful illustration from that time, but we get the gist of it. I wish it were this time for us. We lately read in the papers an illustration of the way of salvation. A man had been condemned in a Spanish court to be shot. But being an American citizen and also of English birth, the consuls of the two countries interposed and declared that the Spanish authorities had no power to put him to death. What did they do to secure his life when their protest was not sufficient? They wrapped him up in their flags They covered him with the stars and stripes and the Union Jack and defied the executioners. Now fire a shot if you dare, for if you do so, you defy the nations represented by those flags and you will bring the powers of those two great empires upon you. There stood the man and before him the soldiery And though a single shot might have ended his life, yet he was as invulnerable as though encased in the triple steel. Even so, Jesus Christ has taken my 
poor, guilty soul ever since I believed in him and has wrapped around me the blood-red flag of his atoning sacrifice. And before God can destroy me or any other soul that is wrapped in the atonement, he must insult the son and dishonor his sacrifice. And that he will never do. Blessed be his name. Abiding in Christ is the context of our eternal security. So let me end by asking this question. Where are you abiding today? Perhaps you know you aren't abiding in Christ. Your hope for eternal comfort lies somewhere else. Oh, hear the warning. If you are a fruitless branch... Unattached to Christ, you are only fit to be cast into the eternal fires and burned. In your case, forget about seeking comfort and pleasure and joy. You must find Jesus. You must run to Jesus. Confess to him your need of him. Seek him. Find him. He will not turn you away. He will welcome you. Trust in the Christ and abide in him. Or are you longing in your soul for a fuller, deeper realization of the abiding presence of Christ? What is going on in your life that hinders you from bearing good fruit? Is there some secret sin, some darling sin? Is there some secret grudge you are harboring? against another person or even against God? Perhaps there is something in this world to which you have given preference rather than exclusive obedience and worship to our Lord Jesus. Run to Jesus. Flee to the cross. Repent of your sin and seek the Lord while he may be found that you might abide in him. Are you rejoicing in the blessed privileges given to those who do abide in Christ? To you, I would say, abide in Christ. Remain. Cling fast. Don't let go. Don't let up. Trust Christ. Trust and obey. Abide in Christ. Amen.